Welcome to another episode of Mutual Growth, a podcast by Penn Community Bank. I'm your host, Aaron Clark. As quarter two turns to quarter three, the nation's economic outlook is changing with it. Widespread access to vaccines, a lifting of state and local mandates and economic restrictions, and the continued impact of consumer spending will ensure that the summer of 2021 will look much different than the darker days of COVID-19. But with inflation fears, supply chain disruptions, and an uncertain labor market, what does the future hold? We're once again joined by Dorothy Jaworski, Penn Community Bank Director of Treasury and Risk Management, to take a look back at the first half of the year and see what might come next. In our conversation, we look at how far pent-up demand can carry the economy, the rising cost of consumer goods, and a new topic, cryptocurrency. After the show is over, be sure to check out the show notes and links to resources at pencommunitybank.com slash podcast. Dorothy Jaworski, welcome back to the show. Hello, Aaron. How are you? I'm doing well. So glad to have you back on. Uh, It seems like every time... We schedule uh, to go over the economic forecast for what's coming up next. There's a ton of news happening, whether it's in the market or the economy as a whole. So I'm glad that uh, we're able to uh, to get you on. Um, Mm -hmm. And since there's so much stuff, we'll we'll dive right in. Okay, Uh, sounds good. Obviously, we're we're in quarter two. We're quickly heading into quarter three, and then the summer months here. Um, So let's just begin with a look back at uh, at where we've been. What's the economic story? been of the year 2021 so far? Well, um, it's surprising the year's almost half over. Mm -hmm. Um, We entered 2021 with strengthening growth. GDP in the first quarter was 6.4%, which was really strong. Um, Congress also passed another stimulus bill of 1.9 trillion, and that added cash for individuals and business. The PPP lines. So spending and growth both increased. And, you know, this ended up leading to some inflation fears. Long-term interest rates rose by 75 basis points since the end of last year. Hmm. Um, Bond prices fell with rates rising during the entire first quarter. At times it was a little scary because it was rising a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, The the rate increases were mostly bonds like the 10-year treasury, but rates. In the past two months, rates have stabilized, thankfully, with economists' views being that the inflation is going to be transitory or temporary. Prices of goods like lumber, steel, food products, and meat, and gasoline, they're all rising rapidly, but mostly it's due to supply chain issues in manufacturing and transportation bottlenecks. So these should ease over time. The question is, how long will it take? So, you know, I would say inflation has been the main story mm-hmm. of the, you know, the year so far. But, you know, rates stabilized, as I mentioned, but at the higher levels. Meanwhile, short-term rates are still near zero and have not moved much because the Federal Reserve controls them. Right. We've, we've certainly talked about rates and rate setting uh, over the last 15 months as kind of one key part of the, the federal response to the pandemic. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Before we look ahead, um, I did want to get your impression on uh, something that we've talked about um, previously and, and obviously is playing a large part in what folks are, are doing and how they're getting back to their business. And that's the immediate and midterm uh, impact of the CDC loosening those mask guidance, states like Pennsylvania um, easing up on some of those uh, local COVID restrictions that were impacting businesses and consumers. 
What can you tell us about that? Yeah, um, well, what I would say is that the lifting of the COVID-19 restrictions and the mask mandates, um, it's leading to increased consumer spending as the economy returns to normal. Uh, People are just getting out and about. In March, retail sales were up 10% from the month before. And in April, they were flat, but they were still at those same high levels from March. So I think people are feeling better about the economy. Most of the spending was on goods, but services have begun to pick up now with the lifting of the restrictions. And some of those hard hit industries are, you know, the travel industry, restaurants, Mm -hmm. medical providers, entertainment, retail stores and retail businesses, and even hotels. So the loosening of the restrictions, I think it was made possible by the vaccines. Mm -hmm. Um, They'll allow us to get back to work in person. And they'll also allow hiring to pick back up and kids can get back to school in person. The things that I think might suffer are Zoom and some web services. They'll see a decrease in demand. That is true. And, and we'll, we'll certainly talk about uh, hiring and, and the economic impact of, of those jobs coming back. Um, but one of, the, one of the biggest themes that, that you've had in your newsletters um, throughout the last call it a year as we've settled into the pandemic and, and the economic response to it has been the idea of pent up demand, mm-hmm. right? The idea that once this is over, whenever it's over, there's going to be th- this mm-hmm. financial and economic um, demand that's going to be released. Looking forward into quarter three, is that the theme? Is it going to be pent up demand being loosened? Yes, you're absolutely right, Aaron. Pent up demand is something I talk about a lot, whether it's related to businesses or consumers. Both groups were, you know, pretty much forced to curtail spending and stay at home or close their doors during the pandemic. But once unleashed, uh, people will feel ready to go out and spend again. I believe businesses will increase their inventories and consumers will go on vacations, especially in the third quarter. Um, They'll go out to eat again. They'll go shopping in person at the malls and, you know, and not just order from Amazon. Mm -hmm. They'll go to entertainment venues again and different events, and they'll get back into the workplace to see their thing. Um, so the, this type of pent-up demand, it should continue to propel GDP growth and create job opportunities, which is especially important because the number of jobs that are lo- still lost from the pandemic, it's still eight to nine million jobs, mm. you know, which is still very huge. Um, the issue with pent-up demand is that it can be a temporary spending spree and it and drive prices up, which we're seeing a little bit of that now. Mm-hmm. Then things can return to a normal pace. So take GDP. It, it was 6.4% in the first quarter, but it's expected to be 10% in the second quarter and 7% in the third quarter. So still super strong. Mm-hmm. But that leads me to a question. Will we be disappointed when GDP goes kind of back to its normal level of 2 to 3%? So we'll have to see about that. You mentioned earlier, and it's obviously been an economic indicator that we've tracked every time that we've we've talked, um, has been the idea of inflation. You mentioned it. Um, listeners, I'm sure whether they're they're seeing it on the news or feeling it at the grocery store, you certainly mentioned the, the price of lumber for, for folks that are mm-hmm. doing home improvements. Right. Um, what can you tell us about inflation's impact uh on individuals right now and and the economy as a whole, whether it's temporary or or some longer term uh, Mm -hmm. trends? Yeah. Um, Inflation is something for years. I didn't write about it because we really didn't have any inflation. It ran 
say about one and a half percent for many, many years. You know, inflation, when it's well behaved, meaning that it's low and steady, is helpful to economic growth because it keeps businesses margins growing slightly and keeps consumers wages increasing slightly. And that's why the Fed picked two percent as its inflation target where it can be stay low and steady. But inflation, when it takes off, it's kind of like a hidden tax. Mm-hmm. You pay more for something today when you know it was cheaper earlier, and then you start to feel bad about it. Take, for example, the cost of a new home. People, you know, the cost of lumber I mentioned, and some of the other materials, they're up as much as six times from a year ago. Wow. Because of supply issues. And it's driving the cost of a new home up. Um, I just recently read $30,000 on average or 10% higher on the cost of a new home. And gas prices are up too. They're up nearly uh, 50% from six months ago. Steel and copper, they've doubled in price. And many plans have been put on hold when prices get too high. Sure. So this will definitely affect growth. Initially, GDP can be higher people will buy things because they believe the price will go up later so they'll quickly buy people tried to do this with cars but supply chain issues you know with the semiconductor chips right Mm -hmm. now for new cars it's holding production and the supply of new cars is really low so demand is driving those prices up on the new cars and it also drove up the price of used cars but in the end i think you know inflation will become a discouraging factor just like any other tax, mm-hmm. and will serve to pull down GDP growth over time. Another post-pandemic kind of item that people are seeing or at least hearing about um, is labor, right? The idea of, of, mm-hmm. of maybe labor shortages. I, I'm sure a number of people in the area see more help-wanted signs or billboards with, with hiring promotions now than, than they have in, in a number of years. Um, this is kind of uh, brought to the forefront with last month's job re- jobs report coming in a lot weaker than um, it was anticipated to. Can you talk about the labor market, um, specifically its impact on employers, and, and what might be the root of the disconnect between those jobs and those job openings and maybe job seekers that, you know, we mentioned there's several million of them uh, right. still out there. Right, definitely. Uh, you know, as long as, you know, as strong as the GDP growth sounds, uh, the labor markets have not fully recovered. I mentioned earlier, we still have eight to nine million jobs. And I say eight to nine because I see different reports where they're counted differently. Um, you know, they're still lost from the start of the lockdowns last mm-hmm. year. And additionally, five million people have dropped out of the labor force for many reasons. Some some was fear of the pandemic, but, you know, some was necessity, like um, perhaps a parent that had to stay home with children sure. being virtually schooled. Um, you know, but the unemployment rate has ticked up to 6.1% in April. And you're right, that was a, you know, very surprisingly poor report, because economists had projected a million jobs, and we only saw 266,000 created. So that was a big miss on, mm-hmm. on their part. Um, you know, right now, um, projected by the government, there's 7 million job openings nationwide. But employers still, you know, they can't find the help. And then, you know, one reason I think might be affecting it is the extra unemployment subsidy. Mm-hmm. Currently, it's at $300. Previously, it was $600 per week. And that's keeping people on the unemployment rolls. So this will change as, you know, so far, I saw an announcement that, you know, 23 states 
have either removed the subsidy or they're about to do so. So, you know, um, you know, the hardest hit in terms of hiring are restaurants, retail stores, banks, including our own, um, hotels, and many service industries. Hmm. We're all still struggling to hire. And the effect is we might have to pay more to attract workers. You know, the, in the meantime, the Federal Reserve, you know, they promised to keep short-term interest rates near zero until we reach full employment. And I estimate full employment to be somewhere around 4% because that's where it was pre-pandemic and the Fed had called it kind of a full employment level at that time. So at, you know, at the current 6.1, we have a long way to go and it may take two to three years to get back to that 4% level. Obviously, you just mentioned rates in the larger context. We've talked about rates as well as short housing supply. What is the, you know, the housing market has been been crazy. You mentioned mm-hmm. uh, up almost double digits year over year. Um, right. In Bucks County, I believe it was nine, 9% um, year over year. Mm-hmm. Where does the housing market stand and, and kind of what happens next for folks that might be in the market for a new home? Yeah. Well, you know, you're right. Housing has been extraordinary in the past year, L- you know, propelled by several factors. Low mortgage rates made homes more affordable. And, you know, recent year-over-year price increases on existing homes, they're currently 13 to 14% year-over-year. And I mentioned earlier that, you know, the new homes are 10%. Mm -hmm. Many factors are contributing besides these low rates, including, um, you know, nationwide, a very low supply of homes on the market. That's leading to bidding wars. And there's still a lot of people that are desiring to move out of cities and move into the suburbs. So it's more pronounced, like say in our county, it's more pronounced than it would be in the city of Philadelphia. So, you know, the cost of new homes is, you know, driving some people to maybe look for existing ones. Some builders have delayed new construction because of the rising material costs and also the lack of workers. They're having struggles sometimes finding workers. But eventually, you know, the supplies will increase. As prices keep going up, more and more people will want to put their house on the market. So I, I see the supplies will increase, but I see a reduction in the rate of increase. Like we can't continue at double digit levels forever, but I don't see a sharp decline or a you know, giant correction. It'll just be a slow tapering. And, you know, this could, because of the situation it's probably going to take several years to stabilize, but it means, you know, for someone buying a home, it means a very competitive market. You know, many bids on the same home, mm-hmm. sometimes bidding, at or above the asking price. So, you know, that's what a lot of the buyers are facing. But for people that are staying put, it's an increase in their home equity. So, you know, most people, most people who could refinance their homes have already done so. Mm -hmm. So they're seeing monthly savings and that could be used for home improvement or other spending, provided prices aren't too high. Sure, sure. And it's interesting, you know, <laughs> all of these questions kind of have, you know, similar answers, you know, there, there's, right. there's the inflationary costs, uh, the idea of supply chain disruption and work, mm-hmm. you know, labor, it, it's, it's all connected. Um, right. yes, one, it new, one new topic that I'll introduce here, and I don't know that we've gotten the chance to talk about it, but again, certainly something folks might see as they, they watch the stock market kind of go up and down by, by the day or hear, hear about news reports. Um, Cryptocurrency. Can you give uh, listeners just a real high level review of, of what cryptocurrencies are, 
um, and what their what their role is in, in whether it's the stock market or the larger economy. Oh, sure. Um, crypto. You hear a lot about it. It's certainly been a big story, at least, you know, definitely this year because of the wild price swings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are cyber currencies. They're digital only. And they're pretty much based on a set total amount. Like, you know, I'll make up a number like one billion for the whole exchange. And, you know, it's very similar to a stock where there's a set amount as well. Mm-hmm. So they obviously fluctuate in value. But uh, it seems like on these, you know, cryptocurrencies, volatility has been extremely high. Investment or speculation is becoming more widespread as more and more people try to get enter those markets. But, you know, the markets do come with risk. And, you know, there really are not many opportunities to spend your cryptocurrency. They're not widely accepted at this point. Mm -hmm. And recently, the Federal Reserve said that they don't really think Bitcoin and the others are appropriate as a cash substitute for making payments due to the extreme volatility. Also, the Treasury Department, they're going to start putting more reporting requirements on these markets. So it remains to be seen how that's going to impact it. And, um, you know, one development, I think it was last week, China started banning some of the cryptocurrencies Mm -hmm. from being used in China or invested in. So, you know, we'll see how that shakes out as well. So, you know, pretty much it's a developing market, you know, almost like emerging markets in the stock market, you know, but they come with big risk. Um, You know, it's only begun to filter into the economy. You know, it's going to have to be more widely accepted for payment or transfer or something before it really impacts the economy. So it's going to take time to assess the impact. But, you know, the sheer interest in these markets, it tells me it's going to continue developing. Yes, yeah, certainly are something you, you hear about. It's why I wanted to, uh, to get your take as to what the people should be uh, paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've covered a, a tremendous amount of ground here. Uh, the reason that we talk to you every quarter is we want to have you kind of look into your crystal ball and tell us what, uh, what might be coming down the pike. So looking forward to, to quarter three and maybe the, the larger second half of 2021, um, what can we expect? Yeah, um, well, I have my crystal ball right here. <laughs> But um, all indications are that right now we have really strong momentum going in the economy. All these stimulus, you know, the lifting of the restrictions, that's going to last for the rest of 2021 and likely into 2022. Now, I mentioned before, first quarter GDP was 6.4%. Second quarter is expected at 10%. Third quarter and fourth quarter, both at 6.7%. So those are really like super strong numbers. So this would put the whole year at up 7.6%, which is the highest in decades. Mm. I can't remember what year in the 80s it probably was. Um, But remember, last year was down 2.4%. So we're making up a little ground for that. And now we're ahead, thankfully. Um, But remember, some of it's due to the pent-up demand. And some is due to the government stimulus. So that... Both of those factors won't last forever. And I mentioned earlier, our normal GDP growth path was, you know, 2% pre-pandemic. It's probably 2 to 3 right now, but it will return to normal when this momentum fades away. And I also think inflation, you know, I, I do agree with most economists that it will be transitory and it will subside as these supply chain issues and shortages are resolved, at, you know, and corrected also increased competition will also start to push prices down. Hmm. And, you know, 
the Federal Reserve, they promised to keep short-term rates near zero for the next couple of years. So, you know, that's helping growth along the way as well, you know, as we work to reduce unemployment. So stay tuned. You know, it's, it's, you know, it looks like a good forecast. You know? well, well, that is uh, that is what we like to hear. Uh, Dorothy Jaworski, thanks so much for joining us. We'll include the 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 way to to sign up for Dorothy's economic forecast newsletter, which is which is economic must reads uh, every quarter uh, in the show notes. But uh, Dorothy, thanks so much for for hopping on and joining us today. Oh, Aaron, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mutual Growth, a podcast by Penn Community Bank. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating. And as always, keep up with the latest from Penn Community Bank by following us on Instagram and Facebook at Penn Community Bank and connecting with us on LinkedIn. For more information about this podcast, links to past episodes, and to learn more about community-first banking, just visit pencommunitybank.com slash podcast.